Hey Blenders, on this week's episode, we give you our individual top 10 lists. We discuss briefly pieces of a woman hitting Netflix and give you our favorite Chris Pine performances. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 148 of Real Blend, a podcast that promises to do much better this year. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and I am pleased to welcome you guys to the first full episode of 2021. Yay! Come on, some applause. Why would you commit to, no, I'm terrified of this, like, guarantee to be, it's like, oh, that year where we got Nolan, we're going to do better. Spielberg. If you listen to the premium episode where we all singled out the directors or, or just anybody in basically who we want to get this year, uh, we have put Spielberg on the on the calendar. Uh, so West Side Story, The Beard, he's coming to Real Blend. That's what I'm calling right now. Uh, Whether this he week's knows show, it or not. Before we move to 2021 fully, we have to look back on 2020. Uh, this is the third time, I want to say, that we're doing our top 10 lists on the show. Um, Gabe was just going to look up. We were... Checking to see whether we started this show in 2017 or 2018. I think it was beginning of 2018 because we're only 140 something episodes in. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. All right. So we're doing our top 10 lists. Uh, We are going to talk about Pieces of a Woman, which is coming to Netflix. And we are going to discuss our favorite Chris Pine performances in the blend game. And by we, of course, I mean Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, how are you, sir? Sean, Jake, Gabriel. Good to see you guys. Happy Happy New New Year Year. to you. Happy New Year. And to your wonderful Lauren, how are you guys doing? You guys well? Yeah, we're doing good. How, how, how's, how's Michelle and the kids? Everyone's good, man. Everyone's happy and healthy and, and ready to wipe the slate clean and start fresh. Jake yeah. Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. How are you, brother? My dog and I are good. Oh, Queen Daenerys. Uh, and, of course, Gabe Kovac. Kovac, sorry. Who is uh, chiming in every once in a while. How long do you And will be significantly uh, during the top ten lists. Hi, Gabe. How are you? How's it going? Glad to be back. It's so good to be back and testing out the new digs. Uh, Let's see. We are going to be doing... I did introducing the guys. I'm letting you guys know that if you're watching us on YouTube, hello, uh, hopefully you by now, hit subscribe and turn on your notifications so that every time we post a new interview, like the the bonus ones that we ran over the holiday where you guys got to see uh, Pete Doctor and uh, Emerald Fennell, who talked about Promising Young Woman, uh, some great interviews. And because most people are letting us capture video, you guys get to watch those as well as they're happening. If you're listening to us where you get your podcast needs met, one second, Jake Hamilton. I guess, I guess um, but it's already broken. Okay. Right. There is going to be uh, a link in the description or uh, some information to tell you how to go over to the YouTube channel and, and subscribe there because we want to. Oh, we crossed a thousand subscribers on YouTube by the end of 2020, which was a personal goal that I said, yes, Jake, what can I do for you? Okay. So I've mentioned this in years past and, yeah. and I'm curious to, if you guys experience this in a year of, of screeners. And obviously this year was significantly different. We got significantly fewer cause there were just really fewer films to really well, think they're about. They're all from Netflix, which are um, like, yeah, the well, are not, not just, not even just um, like physical screeners, like, like links and stuff as well. Oh, yeah. There always seems to be one movie that people gravitate towards in terms of like whenever I bring them home for Christmas for my family to watch or like if my girlfriend comes over and wants to watch one and every year I'm always curious and it's never like like the big one you think it's gonna be 
Um, it's sometimes it's like kind of a middle tier where you're like, really? Like you all want to watch that individually? <laughs> um, for me this year, every I have now watched Promising Young Woman like six times because everyone seems to like have heard just enough about it to want to watch. Yeah. Like, like that's the movie. And I was like, you guys know, like I got news of the world. I got that. Like, no, I want to see Promising Young. And I'm like, and now that I don't like it, as you'll see, it, it is somewhere on my top 10 list. But like by like time five, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this again. That's a lot of times to watch any movie. Sure. Uh, and that movie in particular, yeah. because it, it can be, especially when the, once the surprises have played out of it, um, but it's probably fun for you to watch it and see other people's reactions. Yeah, there are certain beats that I that I do watch kind of like within my peripheral vision, more so like, um, you know, uh, I was telling you guys, I, I it's so great. And, and Kevin, I, I know you've probably experienced this too, watching, uh, I watched Tenet uh, with Amanda uh, just a couple of days ago. And just from my side eye watching the wheel, like her initial confusion when he gets sucked back into the Freeport and that moment of like, wait, I've already seen this scene. Why is he, wait. And you can see the wheel and then you just see it click. Oh, that's so great to see someone else experience that moment and just how she went. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. I love that moment. I, I, I mean, I have people over the house all the time. Not all the time, but when I do have people over the house, uh, I put on Tenet. Has Tenet passed Dunkirk for views? Views? Yes. Uh, I mean, I watched Dunkirk the other day and Tenet the other uh, day. On VHS? <laughs> no, on, on, on yeah. Blu-ray. Uh, no, the, the, Jake did send me the VHS for Tenet, which I need to play, or for uh, Dunkirk. But um, no, but yeah. It's, I, it's I, my I, understanding that they do actually play. If you put them in a VCR, from my I, understanding, the, the I have a VCR. I need, to, I need to put it in. I want to see it. I tried to take mine out of the box, and it felt like it was stuck or sticking, so I thought it was like a gimmick, and I just left it alone. No, <laughs> dude, the, the VHS tape has it comes out. like a little sticker on it, yeah. Does it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh. I don't even have a DVD player anymore, because Brendan took a piece of the PlayStation 4 into his room, um, and that was our DVD player. So I was actually going to invest in a cheap DVD player, just so I can watch stuff that I want to watch downstairs, but I haven't pulled the trigger on that. Do they what, still uh, make like the dual ones, like the DVD VCR, or is VCR just totally dead? I, I'm totally dead is probably accurate for Damn. VCR. <laughs> Damn. I mean, you could probably find one. Sean, what was your VHS? What movie did you get from Jake? Spider-Man Homecoming. Nice. And it's the, uh, the so Jake, to let everybody in on the, on the story, Jake gave us uh, Christmas gifts, and they were these uh, DVD, I'm sorry, VHS copies of movies that were specifically aimed at us. And this artist... I don't know why I'm describing it, Jake. You should probably talk about it since you found them. Uh, this guy makes these what look to be retro copies of, of modern day films. And so Kevin got Dunkirk. I got uh, Spider-Man Homecoming and Gabe got uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, God, that's awesome. Yeah. Very the, cool. the thing that I liked about him is that he purposefully the guy that I found that makes these. Um, he, he he's on Instagram. I'll, I'll, I'll I can't find his handle right now. I'll find it and get it to you guys later so we can pimp him out a little bit um he he made there are certain titles he chooses and says like hey if you want one here's how much it costs and i'll send it to you but also he takes requests charge a little bit more but he takes specific requests in fact he liked so much how homecoming came out that he ended up making that like i think the the, the tape for january um but what i like that he does is not only does he take modern movies and make vhs's out of them he like fades them in such a way and kind of like grunges them up so as to look that like they've been on the shelf for a while so it kind of looks like they've like been not, you know, like at an old video store for like the last 15 years and no one's picked it up. Believe mm -hmm. me, I spent so much time pointing that out to Michelle that like <laughs> 10 minutes 
of me like <laughs> mentioning all the creases and the fading. She gave me a look that was basically like, I I get it. <laughs> it's old. Yeah, it looks old. I I no, I understand. <laughs> Shut up. Um uh, don't guys don't on the show because i don't want to don't reveal what i gave you guys for christmas you know it's it's, it's almost as good as what, what everyone else got me <laughs> this was a year where i just couldn't i couldn't get motivated to do much of anything which was really sad i can't and wait jake to see what you guys really give me for thoughtful. my birthday yeah jake gave this really thoughtful uh christmas gift and i said <laughs> Nothing. It's okay. It's I, I got back the greatest gift of all, which is the knowledge that I should never do it again. No, <laughs> friendship. I, you got friendship. That's what this whole podcast Can I, is like, Jake, like, trade that in for something? <laughs> I, I, I always remember Jake's birthday because it's the same birthday as the lead singer of Korn, Jonathan Davis. And Jonathan Davis actually says that his birthday is Jake Hamilton's birthday. He does. So. He's, he's so saying it yeah. in one of the first and, albums. Yeah. Yeah. And Kevin Costner goes like, what the hell about me? <laughs> uh, weekly poll. So th- the weekly poll last week was, which one did you like more, Wonder Woman or Wonder Woman 1984? Now, not which one is better, uh, but which one did you like more? And th- one of them was a, <laughs> was a runaway smash hit. Um, and so someone suggested underneath, and this is what we will end up doing. Since it seems very clear that the first Wonder Woman uh, would win this poll, which I thought it would be closer, to be honest with you, um, it did win. It dominated. But Jake, try to guess which percentage of the votes Wonder Woman got over Wonder Woman 1984. I'm going to say 75-25. 85 14 yeah so yeah 85% of the poll went with the original one and I don't think that that's listen I understand that the first Wonder Woman is beloved you know everybody thinks that Patty did a wonderful job uh this was the introduction uh in you know well uh Diana got introduced in, in BVS but this was her first true feature length origin story but we all came out of Wonder Woman 1984 thinking it was a really good movie um, I liked it quite and, a bit then it's seen like that it second wave of <laughs> reviews came. Can we talk about the second wave of reviews for a number of these films? Sure. Because I don't know if they are um, accurate. I think a lot of people, and Jake, I think you have this opinion too, Kev. I'm not sure if you weighed in on this yet. For movies like Wonder Woman 1984, for movies like Tenant, I'm starting to see um, reactions that skew far more negatively uh, in the second wave than uh, the people who initially see it. And I'm not going to go out fully on the limb and say that the initial reviews are super positive and and the latest ones are uh, intentionally negative, but I find it really strange that the movie doesn't change. So how come a group of people who watch it can think one way about it, specifically Tenet, and then, you know, the next group of people that see it later think that it's... A piece of crap like i don't understand that it seems too weird to have happened to both tenant and then to wonder woman 1984 yeah i mean i i sort of expressed how i felt in, in our text thread and not to um call people out specifically but i think my issue came with the fact that it felt like and you know this is not like unique to COVID times. This is normally how things work which is that people that attend or participate in the press junket tend to see a movie first. And then there is a second wave of press screenings for people who just need to cover it. That's mm-hmm. 
Correct me if I'm wrong, like, that's the order that it normally goes in. But it really seemed like, both with Tenet and with Wonder Woman, if you weren't in that first wave of people that saw it, I noticed a lot of like really upset reactions. Like, 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 I like, guess, guess I'm just not going to get to see Tenet. Guess I'm just not going to get to see Wonder Woman. And then those people would turn around and do two things that, that one of which upsets me. One, accuse the people that saw it first of giving it good reviews because of access, which mm-hmm. I don't know about like, I, I've done a lot of junkets where I didn't like the movie, uh, especially during COVID times. Um, and then, and then the latter is then after bitching about not not getting to see it early, just not not just dislike it, but just trashing it beyond repute. And it's just like it really like my, in my knee jerk, you know, if they're if they're allowed to say, well, they they gave it a good review because they did the junket, then my knee jerk reaction just is to say, I think you're ripping it apart because you weren't in the first wave of participation and you can't stand the idea of not being a part of something that's good. So because you missed out on that initial wave, you want to tear it down, make it seem bad. Therefore, it doesn't really seem like you missed out on something that was good. Kev, did you see this with Tenet specifically? Yeah, I'm, I've really, um, especially with the Wonder Woman 84 discourse, it's just really disheartening for me as a film fan. I I, I don't really like where we are as a society with films now. Um, just that's from fair. a general perspective of the way everybody is just so negative and a film can be bad. That's fine. A one woman, 1984, I liked, but it did have flaws. Um, I just, we're too judgmental. We're too up on our high horse. I'm talking about we as a society, not just like, just in general. I feel like the discourse surrounding cinema is film. Twitter is just, it's like some, some of that stuff just really depresses me to be honest with you. And I know uh, there are so many films and over the years that have come out that were classics that weren't received well, uh, back in the day, but you know, it's funny because I, I I was watching News of the World recently, and I, I thought to myself, how cool would that be to not be continuously knowing everything that's happening, but then you just get then you sit down and actually get the news. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and and I was looking at those people. There's a scene in the beginning of News of the World where Hanks is just like you know delivering the news of the world literally from the newspaper. And again, I know technology were in different times, but there was something kind of interesting about these people living their lives. Mm-hmm. On their own, without yeah. and kind of yeah. like same thing with movies. Like, like yeah. I, it was like I when we used like... to see trailers. Remember when we used to like yeah. you didn't know a movie was coming out till you went to the movies and saw the yeah. trailer for it, and you're like, right. what? Like, 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 like <laughs> Die Hard Two, yeah. Die Harder. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the discourse has just gotten. People are already hating on films before they even see them, and it, it's just it, it's just rest in peace, Snyder Cut. Yeah, oh, it, Jesus. It, it's Don't an unreal thing. Start. And don't get me wrong, Twitter and social media have very positives uh, in the sense of like connecting people. And and I love that when a movie can be championed, that it can carry weight across social media and get a lot of people talking about it. And that's kind of the universality of what the communal movie experience is. So since we're not together now, we can kind of be together on social media. But I'll tell you right now, Wonder Woman 84 discourse really just really hurt me personally, just from from an emotional standpoint. I'm like, are we really at a point where people are just going to be just people love trashing stuff now. It's like yeah. it's yeah. like the new thing is to be is to be as negative as possible. Have the hottest take you possibly can. There's no there's no middle ground anymore. It's worst movie ever or best movie ever. If it's not if it's, there's no middle ground. And I, and I feel like that's really a shame that we've gotten to that point. One thing that I found really confusing and hard to reconcile with specifically with the Wonder Woman 84 discourse 
was for like for years now, a, a larger criticism for superhero movies has been that they're starting to take themselves right. too seriously. I saw this. Yeah. yeah. And that, like that, that's and that's. I think that's a fair criticism, when, especially post Dark Knight, Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan era, which took itself very seriously. Right. That's a fair criticism that you know they're starting to get a little bit too away from you know yeah. these are superheroes made for grounded and, and gritty, right? Yeah, like that, not, not the, even just grounded and gritty, but like you know, a superhero can be the sort of broad stroke. Uh, good versus bad and still be kind of fun let's just you know it's it's for a kid to kind of enjoy a character and get a sense of the world around them in a yeah. protected space uh, people lose sight of that i think and that's a fair criticism but then a movie like wonder woman 1984 comes out which is very playful and is very fun and it, it while it it touches on some serious things it yeah. doesn't it doesn't like it's not like this is the whole movie the the uh, uh, spoiler alert you care about the villain and the villain doesn't die at the end. Like that's, that's a really not taking itself too seriously movie. And the, and the other one turns into a cheetah. <laughs> yeah. So well, and then the criticisms of this movie, broadly speaking, the criticisms are they didn't take the fun stuff that they were doing seriously enough to care about the optics of it. Or it was just such a like, wow. And I can't well, go as far as saying it's the same people saying two different things, but it's just so, it's so confusing to be like, well, if the overwhelming criticism is that they take themselves too seriously and then we get a really fun movie, but it didn't take itself seriously enough. I, it was, I, I laid, I was confused for days. I was like, I, I what don't really bothered me anymore. was, well, what really bothered me was that, like, I gave, uh, I went on the air and I gave, uh, I gave my review for the film and I'll, I'll summarize it by saying I gave negative and positive points to it. I said it was a little too long. I thought it was a little bit heavy handed from, from a script standpoint. I thought that, uh, you know, some of the dialogue was not great. I thought the plot was, you know, like a liar, liar, Aladdin meets Wonder Woman kind of thing. Um, but on the positive side, I thought Gal Gadot and uh, Gal Gadot and Pine were great. I love Pedro Pascal. I think his arc is brilliant. I love Kristen Wiig. I thought it was shot gorgeously. I thought the Cairo action scene was amazing. Um, and so, like, I, I had all these positives and neg- uh, positive points, and then there were negative points. And then everybody comes after me like, that was the worst movie of all time. I'm never trusting your opinion ever again. And I'm just like, like, where is this coming from? Did you not listen to my review or did you just look at the star rating? Like, if that's the worst movie you've ever seen, then like... What yeah. like you? What have you seen? Like eight movies in your life? Like you need to see more movies if that's the worst. To be movie fair, though, some also, people some people, people only see three or four movies a year, and they're usually these superhero movies. But so, did you, you see know, Suicide Squad? Did you see yeah. Aquaman? I mean, come on, those are. I mean, no, I know you guys Wait. like Aquaman, but like I, Aquaman and Suicide Squad are so much worse than anything in Wonder Woman 1984, in my personal opinion. But I, I also feel like Patty Jenkins. That movie had a lot of heart to it. I actually found it to be really. Uh, heartwarming that a villain had that arc that he did, that he realized. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought Pascal was crazy brilliant. I, I remember texting uh, Sean after I saw it. I was like, I thought Pascal was the star of the movie, essentially. He has the, like, best, he has the best arc in the whole movie. It's his yeah. movie, right. Yeah, it's yeah. His and movie. so, it really you know, is. again, I don't think any of us right here would, would say that Wonder Woman 1984 is the greatest movie ever made. Mm-hmm. I've just found the discourse surrounding this film to be uh, absurd to a point where it, it really yeah. saddened me yeah. that we have gotten it's to exhausting. the state. It, oh, oh it, it's so it makes me so sad but wait kevin brings up a point that i want to touch on before we eventually move on from this too is is the reaction is also it's not just about the movies in general but someone Personal. will say to kevin or to jake or to myself um that i'm not going to trust you anymore right. because of your one opinion to this movie that i disagree with that's how i um, felt honestly like, like I, i've given 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reviews my entire career. And I've had people tweet me that this was this was the one for them. That, right. uh, that we're done. I'm like, Wait, oh, like I think you should overestimate how much I care. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I'm just like, why, why would you even make the time to yeah. write and me I think something that's a like mis- that? I think that's yeah. a misuse of what you guys provide people. Like what, what we're providing, like what conversation provides. Like I talk to you guys for at least two hours a week like this, at least we text all the time. I have a really, really great understanding, and I think our audience, because they're a part of those conversations, the ones that, you know, catch everything, I have a really good understanding of Jake's taste in movies, and what he likes, what he doesn't like, and why he likes them, Kevin and Sean all the same. So when Sean says, I love this movie, and this is why, because I've had this conversation with you, I know, I have a better idea of, am I going to agree with him or not? Like, that's the, you're not supposed to just, this is the one person that I always agree with, because that person doesn't exist. Sure, right. It's it's a relationship that you yeah. build over years of hearing their opinion and not just looking at the star yeah. rating. So it's well, what I found. I found this interesting. I, and I, I know we'll move on, but I was looking up um, I, I, after the Wonder Woman discourse and Tenant discourse, whatever. I was just looking up like classic films. Not that I'm saying Wonder Woman is anywhere near these movies I'm about to mention, but I was looking up like old reviews for like 2001 Space Odyssey. And, like, people just destroyed that film. And I thought to myself, could you imagine if 2001 oh. came out during Twitter? <laughs> it, that, I mean, yeah. it, it, that would have been such a, it, it would have been awful. Like, everybody, well, because cause 2001 is a film that requires multiple viewings. Another thing I, with the t- Twitter discourse on Tenet, for example, everyone's like, well, I don't want to watch a movie more than once. If, I, if I'm confused by it, then I hate it. I'm like okay, that's your personal opinion, but I'm telling you that you should give it another chance or whatever. Yeah. And so I just, yeah, I just, it just saddens me. And I think that's why a lot of these filmmakers that we love, you'll notice them, none of them are on Twitter. Right. Yeah. Nolan, yeah. Spielberg, uh, Denis, like all these, uh, none of them are Damien. really on Twitter. Yeah, they're yeah. not really on there. Because no, um, no they, they stay away being... from it. Yeah. yeah, there's really honestly no point. And it's, it is discouraging. Um because when you look back on last year, you know, that people will will try to slam it as saying that, like, this is a year that nothing good came out. But as we're about to celebrate, That's, like, there were clearly uh, fantastic films. Yeah. That, what a ridiculous worth- statement someone would make that last year was a bad movie, bad year for movies. I, I actually thought there were some I watched four films between our last conversation and now that we're going to get into today, like News of the World, Minari. I just found so many wonderful films and stories from last year. All right, so let's get into our top 10 then, because this is a a fun episode that we always enjoy putting on where we're going to single out our individual lists. And at the end of it, Gabe is going to read what is collectively going to be known as the Real Blend Top 5 based on points that we have accumulated uh, for the for the movies that we have listed. But before we get into this, we want to shine a little bit of a spotlight on a discussion that we've been having off and on in our text chain about what honestly qualifies as a uh, 2020 film and whether Jake, you've had a, a really um, a, a bug up your ass about like what qualifies. Sure. So I'm going to let you take the baton on this look, one. I, and, uh... yeah, <laughs> look, I, so, so the, the, the rules normally are, and, and kind of go by sort of the Oscar rules. That's kind of what I've always done, which is like maybe a movie doesn't open wide until January, but if it opened in like two theaters mm. in L- LA and New York on Christmas day, that counts. Like if, if, if normal people, normal people like that without early access to screenings had access to go see it, even if it's just two screenings, then that counts. 
There are a lot of movies that are very much going to be leaders of the pack when it comes to the Oscar race that don't follow, don't fall under, fall, don't fall under that umbrella for the year of 2020. Mm-hmm. They did like they might have been at a, a film festival and we might have gotten screener links to them. But they didn't actually come out anywhere for the average movie going public to see. Or and they in don't fact, come out- like grabbed a February release exactly date because the yeah. the Academy switched their qualifications. And and I just really have a tough time saying that no matter what IMDb says or when a movie came out at a film festival, because keep in mind, if we're using the film festival rule, Sound of Metal came out at TIFF in 2019. So I, I just have you know. Can I call a movie one of the best of the year when, in fact, unless you had some sort of certain privilege, you couldn't see it last year? So I, in the text thread, have been doing a lot of the arguing with Jake that um, that if if I managed to see a movie specifically at a film festival this year, uh, that I was considering it for my top 10 list. And one of the films in particular was Benari, um, which has been playing a lot of film festivals, mm-hmm. has been in consideration for people's top 10 lists, but took a February date. I will say that when putting my top 10 list together, I waffled and I have moved the 2021 movies to, to, 21, to, to 2021 yes! list. So it, but it allowed me then to include a couple of movies, one or two movies, right. uh, that... On, that made it onto the list because I think that they should be celebrated as 2020 films. And, and, and that's sort of the, you talk about the bug up my ass. I, it felt like a lot of critics were uh, doing the opposite of that. Yeah. So as to stack their top 10 and have their top 10 be a collection of the Oscar favorites and also like low key humble brags of like, look what I've already seen. In fact, what uh, there I will was- say is a movie like Nomadland um, or even a movie like Minari I think that their intention now here we can argue intention. I think their intention was absolutely going to be to come out before the end of the year. If the Oscar race was the Oscar race, they played early film festivals. They generated buzz and they were waiting out the, the coronavirus to see if theaters were going to open back up again. And so by definition, they feel like 2020 films to me. I agree Um, with you. Can I, can I'm going to make the case. Okay, the okay. But you know, the, the one... Yeah, sorry, sorry. I just want to offer a counter to Jake's cynicism, which is which is not wrong. But we've been very cynical on this show, and I just want to offer a counter. <laughs> or that, realism. Uh, well, okay, so maybe, maybe there are some reviewers out there or people who make lists who are interested in having some sort of superior... Okay, you the guy that... I'm not going to call him out. <laughs> the, one guy in particular. The guy that <laughs> named a movie the best yeah. film of the year... That was not just delayed from last year, but has yet to be rescheduled for 2021. Yeah. Like that infuriated me, like beyond. <laughs> all, like, okay, come on, okay, come me, on. Okay, but let, let me offer a little bit of perhaps <laughs> just as likely a bit of altruism that maybe is at stake here. Top ten lists are very important for films, in the same way that Oscars are very important for films. There are a lot of movies yep. that get a lot of buzz that are really critically well received. That the average person to someone who sees above average amount of films a year won't see until they see it on a number of top 10 lists. So there is also, I think there's a part of some people who might say, if I don't put this on my top 10 list now, it's not going to be on my top 10 list next year. And this really good, good movie that I would have is going to be ignored but by people. But it didn't 
come out I know, last year. I know. Like, okay, I what know, if I put it in Quiet Place 2 on my I'm top not 10 arguing, list? I'm not arguing your point. Just I just wanted to push back on the cynicism, which you're right to have. It's probably out there. But some I mean, people may be, may be looking at the top 10 to list as a way to really put some films that, that might get overlooked because of this weird schedule. You even pissed off Daenerys. I know. She so your me. 2021 list should theoretically have a one and two slot right now. Like, if yeah. a movie was supposed yeah. to be on your top yeah. ten list, and sure. currently it's, it's, that qualifies yeah. it as one of the best things you've seen. Sure. And also, I mean, three, because you could say, like, a, a Quiet Place Part 2. Which I, yeah, I gave, I gave stars out of five in my review. And uh, I, don't, I don't, the movie well, hasn't Sean changed. Broke <laughs> Who knows? Oh, shit. <laughs> I guess I did, didn't I? Kev, where are you on this side? I don't know if I've even heard your take on this. Um, it's an interesting discussion because I, 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 I understand where Gabe's coming from because like top 10 lists do provide a push for certain films and like, you know, this movie's in the top 10 of the year. It's interesting because this year is so unprecedented that like films like Nomadland and Minari feel like 2020 films yeah. just based on yeah. the feeling of the discussion. Yeah. Th- the- those are the movies that were really tough for people that were like, what the hell are they? It's really those two and kind of the father. I don't know. I haven't seen the father yet. I don't well, know if it would have been maybe like one night in Miami, but that grabbed a Christmas day release. Sure. Sure. Right. right. So I'm sorry, Kevin. Really I'm seeing yeah. it until yeah. January, February. Sure. Yeah. I just want, and I just watched a bunch of these in question films. Like I just watched one night in Miami, which was fabulous. And, uh, Minari was incredible. I cannot wait to see that again. Um, and Nomadland and, and, and none of those are on my top 10, not by, not by, I didn't do it by decision to keep them from the top 10. They just didn't make my top 10 of, of 2020, but I, I see both sides. I actually understand where Jake's coming from. And I understand where, where Gabe's coming from. I just feel like in the, in the discussion that we're in right now, like I feel like then we would need to have seen cherry, uh, mm. That would that would need to have been seen if we're if we're including that far out into February and Mar- and January and February. So, but I mean, for people listening that don't know what's going on with the rules specifically, obviously the Oscars extended their deadline. Normally, it's mm-hmm. through the end of the year, and now they have a a couple months extra leading into twenty twenty one that will make films eligible for their April. Is it April or March Oscars? April. Um, yeah, so th- there's a reason why these films are are, qu- are being questioned. Um, I guess like a film like The Little Things with um, Denzel, Denzel Washington and mm-hmm. and Rami Malek is that considered a 2020 film? That's 2021. That, uh, but mm-hmm. but is it is it is it for the Oscars of this year? Oh yeah, I guess technically yeah. because it's, no, it's, it's going it's to open in theaters and okay by January and, uh, yeah. HBO yeah. Max. Yeah, like yes. in like like next week, isn't it? Yeah. I'll I'll say this: if Minari Nomadland. Uh, were good enough to be in my top 10, I would have put them on my top 10. I, and I love oh, Minari. Really? And I, yeah, I love Minari. But I, and I would have put it on there, but I, there were films that I thought were better. So, Kev, okay, start with but you the then. guy that did the guy that put that one movie on his oh, top just t- you need to call that guy and just work it out with him. Tell <laughs> me that's tell me that's not no, it's like, totally pretentious. No, also, it was how, very pretentious. How so did anyone right? watch Minari and think that's a foreign language film? By the way, I'm no, very confused. Any, any more so than than Inglorious Bastards? Like, like or I don't understand how. Like, yeah. yeah. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. 
Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Um, so, you're about to get into it, I'll explain to the audience kind of the formatting. You guys are going to quickly uh, go through your 10 through 6, you'll each just kind of go through those. And then we'll sort of piece by piece, one by one, go five through number one. Spend a little bit more time on those. Kev, start us off. What is your 10 through six? All right, my 10 through six. Um, okay, so are we, are we doing honorable mentions or just strictly we can, 10 We'll do that at the end. We'll just okay. throw in some at the end. All right, uh, my number 10 is Bad Boys for Life. Yes! Uh, which yes! I just, it, it made me happy. I'll, I'll give a couple sentences on each. Uh, it made me really happy as a fan. Uh, I've been a fan of the Bad Boys franchise forever, and three was a solid, solid effort. And I think uh, anybody who's a fan of Bad Boys, uh, it gave you exactly what Bad Boys was supposed to give you. And Bilal and Adil, man, they were great. I, I was very excited about that movie. My number nine is Palm Springs. Nice uh, Hulu, great film, uh, very unique, very interesting. But obviously, it plays with the Groundhog Day aspect. But I thought that Andy Samberg and uh, is it Kristen Milioti, um mm-hmm. were phenomenal, and I thought J.K. Simmons was fantastic as well. Uh, my number eight is Defy Bloods, um, primarily because I think it was one of the most profound ways to ever explain PTSD. I've never seen a filmmaker capture PTSD like that in the sense that you have the older actors playing their younger memory. And I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant way to, to capture that. And it made me understand PTSD in a way I never understood before. Uh, my number seven, Sound of Metal, um, which, you know, I, 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 you guys have all seen the Sound of Metal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Gabe, have you seen it? No, okay. Um, Something profound happened to me during Sound of Metal that I was so blown away. Rizamed is incredible. Everyone in the movie's great. Um, but there's a point in the film where for 20 minutes or so, I was genuinely like annoyed. Like like I was angry because the sound was so annoying. There's a moment where his character gets a, a, an implant and that sound becomes your sound as the audience. And it got so frustrating as a as an audience member that I had to turn my volume down. But once the payoff clicks, I won't say what the payoff specifically is, I've never understood that disconnect more in my life than that. It, 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 it was, I feel like that was like the definition of the sound of silence, kind of exactly what they were able to pull off of that. So that's why that ended up on number seven, because I've, I've never seen my, my myself jump like that. I was just like, I was like, oh my God, it was like such a, uh, an immersive experience. Um, my number six was Promising Young Woman. Uh, again, phenomenal film, phenomenal performance by Carrie Mulligan. Uh, I, I just think it's brilliant what Emerald Fennell did, uh, especially with the 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 crucifixion image in the beginning when she's uh, on the couch, and that whole imagery of uh, of that being a, 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 an image of vulnerability and power in the same image, uh, and kind of what that character goes on journey wise uh, in in terms of being essentially kind of like a martyr. If I, would, if I would say that, um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a brilliant P 
piece, um, gorgeously shot, one of the best soundtracks I've heard in a long time, and uh, Carrie Mulligan is, I think, the best performance from an actress I saw all year. First time filmmaker. Yeah. Like, that blows yeah. my mind. I the, mean, the, control the composition of her shots were, and I know we'll get into this later, but like, just a simple, like the first shot you ever see of Carrie Mulligan in that movie is her on the couch like that. And it's like, the idea of that being a crucifixion imagery um, of, of a woman who's uh, at that moment, both vulnerable and powerful because we know exactly what she's going to do, but she looks vulnerable. It's just a, uh, it's a brilliant, brilliant film. Love that movie. All right. Uh, I'm up and I'll go 10 through six and um, my 10, which was going to be Minari uh, got bumped for uncorked a Netflix film um, that probably speaks really closely to me personally in that uh, the the main character wants to study to be a sommelier. Um, I'm obsessed with wine. And so I really, I learned more about wine in Uncorked than I ever thought I was going to learn. But I also just love Chase Your Dream stories. And then, of course, uh, the father wants his son to take over the barbecue business. And I'm obsessed with barbecue. And so it felt like a screenplay that was written directly for me. And so that made it to number 10. Uh, nine was Borat, subsequent movie film. Uh, one of the only films this year that the minute it ended, I wanted to go back and rewatch it again because I couldn't comprehend everything that we had watched. Um and I, and I laughed just as hard every single time that I watched it um, and showed it to Michelle and she was rolling on the floor. Like there's jokes in that movie that I don't know how they got across. Like the whole everything in the abortion clinic when she swallows the plastic baby is just phenomenal. Everything with Rudy Giuliani. I mean, all of it's unbelievable. So I never thought we needed a Borat sequel. I can't believe that we got one and I can't believe how funny I remember. It was. Didn't you say like when I texted, like when news first broke, didn't you respond meh? No. I'm pretty sure you responded, meh. No way, dude. That no way. I could not have. Dude, God, not, I mean, not 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 having seen the, the film, but like just when news broke that we were going to be getting this movie. Oh, 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 oh. yeah. Uh, probably, yeah, probably. Um, because I again, it's like why right, why exactly. bring back yeah. this dated yeah. character? I didn't yeah. understand the point. But um, uh, eight for me is Trial of the Chicago Seven, which is a brilliant Aaron Sorkin screenplay, tremendous ensemble. Uh, it, it kind of made me laugh to put. Uh, Borat and Chicago 7 back to back just to show the versatility of Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, I, I, quick, I, quick note about that movie. Did you know I didn't realize this and I'm not, I'm not trying to bring up Forrest Gump to piss you off that, <laughs> that the character that Sasha Baron Cohen plays in yeah. Chicago 7 is that moment. Do you remember when um, Forrest Gump is at uh, like the, the pool like, like in, in DC what is it called? Like the, oh, the, the reflecting pool. The reflecting the pool. pool. Yeah, like the, and he's the, being intro he's being introduced by someone and he's like, What's your name? Often? What's your name, soldier? And he's like, like my name's Forrest Gump and the guy goes, Forrest Gump and everyone's like, Yeah, you know, that's the guy that uh, oh, uh Sasha cool. Baron Cohen plays. That's Abby Hoffman? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. No, I, I didn't had, know that. I, I had no idea. Um that's not why I made my top ten. It made my top 10 because Aaron Sorkin is a genius screenplay, uh screenwriter, and everybody in that ensemble is phenomenal. Um, I think Michael Keaton might steal the entire show when he shows up later. I can now talk about that because that cameo is amazing. Uh, seven for me is One Night in Miami. Uh, I cannot believe how good of a director Regina King is. So good. Um, I, in general, don't like stage plays that are filmed. I think uh, I, the ones I love most are the ones that break through the concept of this is a stage play. Um, that's a little bit what trips me up about Ma Rainey. Mm -hmm. Ma Rainey, as it plays out, still feels like they're on a stage doing it. 
Uh, but movies like Fences, movies like, obviously, A Few Good Men, um, movies like One Night in Miami, more feel cinematic and more feel okay. like these people are actually having conversations. Yeah. Where do you uh, put uh, Glengarry Glenn Ross? Oh, Glengarry Glenn Ross is one of the best films ever made. Yeah. <laughs> ever made. Is that, that screenplay. That's like sings. top 10 monologues of all time. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, th that cast is that unbelievable. Always be closing. Amazing. That, yeah. That Arps. scene's perfect. The rain the rain yeah. in that scene is what yeah. blows my mind. Just like the, the, just the, ugh. I'm blanking on the actor's name, but the guy who plays Cassius Clay in One Night in Miami yeah. is, oh. that's the I, best I think Muhammad better than Ali Will I've Smith. ever seen. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. It's I have, literally. I thought it was him. I actually <laughs> thought Regina King took him somehow from the, from the past. And I mean, that performance was incredible like it was uh, honestly everybody was was great yes the, um, uh, yes yeah. eli gory is the okay name. thank you yeah. very much and i thought leslie um, odom jr was great i mean every that movie is a fantastic achievement from a directing standpoint but also performance but even going back and revisiting it to see like okay where does this really fall it, it's stunning to me where is this movie on any of your guys lists it's no. not on is my, it higher I, no. it, honestly, it would be honorable would, mentions yeah, okay. top 15. Yeah. Then I want to take just a second to talk about it. Um, Please. I, the first time through, you get so enamored in the conversations in the hotel room that when I went back to revisit the movie, I didn't really comprehend how comfortable she was in the boxing ring mm -hmm. with Cassius, um, in the Copacabana when Sam Cooke is getting basically ignored by the, the yeah. white audience that doesn't want to see him singing there. There's a scene that Jake, you texted me right after it happened with Jim Brown uh, on the front porch of a, oh. of a, a southern plantation. Yeah. Where he's not that, allowed to go uh, into Bo the Bridges? house. Him and Bo Bridges? It's, yes. Yeah. That is just, it's a gut punch. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's the way that Regina King handles it. It's, it's the it's, it's the nonchalant way she, like she delivers yeah. this scene and we won't ruin it, but it comes no. out on, on Prime on the 15th. But that scene you're referring to it, it, the filmmaking is so good in that scene because you just you almost forget the times you're living in. Oh yeah, for yeah. the for the moment of the scene, and then you're she like literally shoots a gun into the screen, uh, like from a from a, from a directing standpoint that like completely. It, it is one of the most that that was that jaw dropped my mind. Was, yeah. What a moment! Wow. But there's also there's a scene where Cassius is um, in the middle of a really important conversation, and then he stops, and all of his friends start to huddle around him, and they're like, "What's wrong, Cash? What's wrong?" And he goes, "Why am I so pretty?" Mm. Yeah, that was a great it's, like, line. it's one of my favorite moments in that because it's such a dramatic. Yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I can't. It's, I can't recognize. So it, and that also, at number seven. Uh, shout out to Kemp Powers, uh, who yes! co-directed Soul, Soul, and he wrote the play that Miami's based on and the screenplay. Um, so in in two thousand twenty, I don't want to give anything away, but Sean, you have two Kemp Powers films on your top. Yes, 10. I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, do you think anyone will ever so. uh, make a play about when the four of us were in that hotel room in Toronto, and uh, <laughs> the the moment that we shall not name? We can call it one night in Toronto. Uh, I, I would love to have Those movies Regina don't win Oscars. <laughs> we should see if we can get Regina King on the show. We're trying. Be, because We're I also would love to... She has a junket coming up. Yeah, I think it's... Yeah, this weekend. I think Sunday. the... the it's, a hard, know... it's a hard hashtag if it happens, though. We've gotten some... Not not fatal news, but some, some bad news on that front, but we're trying. Some indications that she might not want to do podcasts, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but we're, we're still pushing. 
And you know, it was really nice to push just to give you a peek behind the curtain. When I replied back to the rep and I was like, please let her know that these are the last few directors. Like we're a filmmaker podcast and these are the last few names that we were, spoke to. And it was a really comfortable list. <laughs> I was really happy to be able to send that email of saying like, she might want to join this company um, because we would love to have her. And we would obviously that was, just That talk. was the, the right. podcast equivalent of, of Ron Burgundy's were kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, at number six, uh, I put Defy Bloods. And um, this is weird because I gave Defy Bloods five stars. I still think it's a five star film. There are films, uh, there are movies on my list in the top five that I, I gave four and a half stars to. I think The Five Bloods is incredibly well made and incredibly well acted, but the rewatch factor is what knocked it out of the top five for me. It's not a movie that I'm just going to sit down and plunk on. Um, while I think it's probably one of Spike's best, uh, it's 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 a really tough film to get through. It's it it's it's heavy. It asks a lot of really important questions. It makes amazing connections to. Uh, Black Lives Movement, the Black Lives Matter movement of today, and, and sort of goes to show that like history repeats itself, and some things don't actually change, and those are tough lessons. Um, but the movies that make my top five had more of a a repeat entertainment value. Um, but I don't want it to diminish how important I think Defy Bloods was. What annoyed me about my list before I throw it to Jake is that Jake brought up a movie that's going to be in my top five that when I forgot it and had to include it, it bumped everything down. And I had some really good symmetry going on where Defy Bloods was five and the trial of the Chicago seven was seven <laughs> and it moved them all down one slot. And now my list is, is well, what did I bring up? Well, I'll tell you, oh, I'll sure. tell you all when right. we get to it. So, um, all right. My 10 through six looks a little different than y'all's, which I think is kind of exciting. Um, my number 10 is host. Uh, I, I think in 50, I, one, I think it's far and away the scariest film of, of 2020. I think it packs in more fear in 57 minutes. It's only 57 minutes long than most movies do, not just in two hours, but over a 10 film series. Um, I think there's a reason that, um, you know, you guys, you guys know I was a big champion of this film, um, right when it came out and it really made me happy that Blumhouse just hired this, signed on the director for a three picture deal based on what they saw. I mean, the fact that they, you know, he was able to pull this movie off over quarantine like he had not only did he direct his actors over zoom like what we're doing right now he had to come up with a way for them to practically do things and then instruct them on how to do it okay here's how we're going to pull your chair across the room but i need you to get this rope and i need you to do like i to me that's genius um my number nine is the vast of night um a uh, a movie with, that we had the director on our podcast so go back and look for that uh kind of the antithesis to most alien movies you know we don't see uh, A-list stars punching extraterrestrials. We don't see national monuments blown up. Instead, it's a very quiet, personal story about a small New Mexico town in the 1950s and what happens when they start hearing a sound. Um, absolutely loved it. Number eight is a movie that I still have not shaken, um, a movie called The Lodge, um, a, a thrilling, like unsettling film about two kids who have to... Uh, spend time alone in a cabin with their soon-to-be stepmother things start getting weird and it may or may not have to do with the fact that their soon-to-be stepmother used to be is the last surviving member of a religious cult and it is uh it is a hell of a movie with what might be my favorite ending of the year oh um, you set that movie up for me and then i didn't like it <laughs> oh, i loved it i, I loved it, it. 
Um, my number seven is a movie that I think we are going to be hearing more people enjoy as they discover it in the coming weeks, months, and years. Um, as I think we all did, is my number seven is The Kid Detective. Um, you know, modern day film noir. I, you know, I, I think we would have seen more people react to it if just more people had access to it. I wish Sony had put it out on, on VOD when they put it in theaters because I think it would have made a bigger splash. But I think it comes out on DVD and PO, uh, PVOD soon. Um, and then my number six is Soul, which I think we're probably going to get into um, in a, but you know, it's a, it's an animated existential crisis. The, the best summary <laughs> I've seen is I think someone posted a meme that was like, remember 25 years ago when Pixar was, hey, wouldn't it be fun if toys talked? And now it's like, what the hell are you doing with your life? You are going to die one day. Make something of yourself, for God's sake. Um, and I think that that's entirely accurate. Um, so, so, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my 10 through 6. Uh, I think a, a metaphor for that you accidentally made in the interview, I think Jake made it because you said oh back in the 90s you couldn't make feet and now you're making the afterlife <laughs> it's like a, a metaphor for <laughs> that's a wonderful line come. but i don't think i said i wish i, I think might that, have been, that sounds, might like, have been sean. I that say, that sounds like a sean I, w- I wish i could take credit for that because that's a great line but i don't think i'm clever enough to come up with that. well one of you one of you said it it was great great moment all right, all right let's dive into our top fives and uh and take them all one at a time and and dive into what makes these five films special kev Kick us off. All right, my number five is Borat Two. Um, I just think, yes. I, I just think it's just a brilliant look at our country um, and uh, where we are as a country politically, where we are as a country as human beings. Um, I think through comedy, he was able to really showcase uh, kind of how similar and different we are. Um, and I think at the end of the day, I think Maria Bakalova deserves an Academy Award uh, for this performance. I think she deserves to win the Oscar. Uh, yep. That's how brilliant her performance is. And, and, and I think the problem with comedy, as I said it over the years, it's not ever looked at from from a, a good critical eye when it comes to the uh, Oscars. But if you actually pinpoint and watch that film and understand that every scene you're watching is happening in real time, meaning the people there are not actors except for Maria Bakalova and Sasha Baron Cohen, everything is designed pre-planned like her audition was in a real scene a real moment they threw her into a real life situation for with with borat and i don't know what scene it was particularly but um i mean you have to understand like you when you look at her and giuliani's scene or any scene that she is she is reacting and acting in the moment that is that that is uh, they have one chance to get that right one chance um and and she never breaks and she never and, and i think her performance is literally incredible uh, from from a performance perspective um also it's like it's just a i just love how comedy can really show who we are and i think uh, i think a lot of the pre-planning that went into this film i mean you think about the fact that she had to get an interview with giuliani i mean she had to build a resume as a reporter you know what i mean you think about all the things they have to go into yeah. to pitch you see that things. deleted scene where like she got into the white house yeah I, it, and that was that yeah. was one of the one of the bits that i saw as well and like one of the cool things like for example the uh he goes he he plays a festival at one point um and they have to basically like he has to like sign up for the festival i would imagine as whatever act he's playing because remember sasha's playing sasha baron cohen's playing borat playing multiple people mm. which um, is genius which is incredible um and then that particular concert sequence he's wearing a bulletproof vest for the first time in his career someone pulled a gun on him at one point i mean like that's i mean he is literally like putting his life on the line for his art (laughs) um and i think it's truly incredible and i think that borat 2 people seem disappointed in it compared to one because one was so shocking but we're living at a time now where nothing is really shocking anymore every i mean every single day we're hearing the worst news 
uh, you can think of on a loop, on repeat. And I think people's sensitivity is different now. Um, I think Borat 1 came out at a time where that was extreme. This is more about the state of our, our country. That, now that's kind of what I loved about the film. I think it speaks volumes to where we are as a country. And I think that it, in my opinion, I hopefully it helps people. I think it's a very, you know, him living with the QAnon conspiracy uh, for five days or whatever, 100% real. Dude literally lived there, and then he would go in his room at night and call back home to his wife, Isla Fisher, and family. And I remember one hearing one story that someone knocked on his door one night, and he had to go back into Borat character to tell them that he was fine. And it's right. like the, 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 the level of detail that goes into that production is astounding to me. And I think they were able to actually still tell a great story at the same time. So that's my I, I've five. never more, when a movie was over, wanted to see a making of documentary about the production of the movie i mean i don't i don't know if we would ever see that because it might take away the magic but like like everything you're just saying i i love that stuff and i don't i don't always like i mean you 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 know me well i don't always like to sort of peek behind the curtain sometimes i just don't want to know how a movie was made but i would love to see like those kind of moments you know but a lot of people think it's fake and that's that that's what bothers me is a lot of people audiences they watch it and they go that's not real those are actors etc i mean you see the stories about the babysitter and how she was paid very mm-hmm. minimally i mean it's brilliant they go up they say we're filming a documentary essentially about a foreign language individual who's trying to show his country american culture and they sign off on it and even in borat too there's people who have their faces blurred because they yeah. didn't sign the the document and yeah. i just think it's truly brilliant filmmaking personally i also feel in a year where movies have had a hard time uh getting traction you know some things hit streaming they peak for a, a week and then they're gone yeah i, I think borat 2 did a, a tremendous job of like permeating the culture and people talk about it we were watching some program recently where a guy was training animals and he uh used the clicker to click and Michelle was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, you remember Borat used that when he brought his daughter into the babysitter. And he clicked and she sat down. And like that was a sentence that I used in 2021. And she knew exactly what That's I really meant. That's really funny, actually. And the two of us laughed. The two of us laughed for that moment. Because um, it's just, it, it, I thought it appropriated the culture. Yeah. So, uh, Number five, I am going with a Promising Young Woman. Uh, which is just like we've, we've talked about it before. It's uh, I, I cannot believe that this is Emerald Fennell's first movie. And I mentioned this in the interview with her. I hate that I kind of knew the gimmick. I hate that I knew the fact that she was. Oh, maybe I shouldn't even say it. Maybe I shouldn't say it in case anyone listening to this hasn't seen it yet. Yeah, it's but not I, out yet. I, I, yeah, I, was, I would not say it. Okay, that's fine. Um, but I knew it, and so I, I wish that I was among those earliest audiences that went into it as clean as possible. So if you haven't yet seen anything about this movie, uh, just go into it. I, I kind of loved, and I didn't think too much about it until Carrie Mulligan said it. She says, I'm always doing period pieces. I liked her in a contemporary role. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the fact that each of the the men that come up in her life over the course of this um, uh, adventure that she's on are played by, you know, kind of A-list character actors. Um, so that was always kind of surprising and led to the mystique of what was going on. And um, I did not know where this movie was going. I was wildly shocked by where it ended up. And uh, so the combination of the amazing screenplay, Carrie Mulligan's performance, and then Emerald Fennell's phenomenal direction uh, put it at number five for me. My uh, number five is a movie I'm fairly certain we're just going to talk about this one time and it's not going to get brought back up is, uh, yeah, Gabe's nodding, is uh, The Devil All the Time. 
a movie that I mean, I I know I loved way more than you guys. But I don't know if you remember. I fucking love, sorry. Excuse me. I loved this movie when it came out. I am just continuously in awe of how well it balanced so many different storylines, how many plates it's spinning at one time that I felt each of them were resolved, not necessarily happily, but like everything ended up like they tied up all the loose ends. And I mean, you know, I I did my top 10 list on the show yesterday on Fox and uh, I had a lot of people reach out saying like, look, I, I couldn't even get through like, that's just a hard movie to watch. And it is just when you think the worst possible thing could happen to these people, because it's sort of this, one multi generational tale of of uh, you know that like you know people that sin and the idea of should the punishment of those sins be passed down from generation to generation it it's a wide span of time over a very wide cast of characters um, and it's hard to watch you know just when you think the absolute worst possible thing could happen wait ten minutes because there's gonna be something else that's uh, that gets it, it gets worse and it doesn't end happy for a lot it reminded me of the Coen brothers. Um, in, in all the best possible ways. Um, I, I thought Pattinson was terrific. I thought Tom Holland was terrific. Uh, it just, and even like the secondary characters were all great. Um, you know, Bill, uh, Bill Skarsgård was, was incredible in, in, a, in a very small role. Um, but just, I loved everything about that movie. And, uh, you know, I, I, I get when people tell me like that it's, it, it didn't work for them. I get it, but it just, it absolutely worked for me. Before we jump to Kevin's number four, um, Michelle and I started a movie that, like you say, uh, people couldn't get into mm-hmm. or bailed out on. We tried First Cow. <laughs> Did you guys watch First Cow? <laughs> Not yet. Not I gotta yet. be honest, man. Like, <laughs> Dude, I, 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 every, I know a lot of people love that movie and it was on a lot of people's top 10 lists. A lot of them. But every, every time, like, I talk to someone that's seen it, every time I ask them, like, okay, what is it about the movie that you liked? Yeah. When they explain it, in my head, I think, like, yeah, I'm not gonna like that. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, it just doesn't. It really does. Now I could end up watching that movie in like five years and be like, Jake, you're a dumbass. Like that would have been your number four of the year, or something like that. It just doesn't sound like something that I would want. Nope. Not not in the least bit. We bailed yep. out after 15 minutes. And it was Damn. like, uh, no, we said it was one of those awkward things where we sat in silence, <laughs> and, waiting and on the both, other person to say something. We both just kept watching it, like staring at it. And finally, Michelle was just like, is this doing anything for you? And I was like, no, God, can we move on? Please? <laughs> <laughs> so we were free. Kev, number four for you. Uh, I went with Mank, which I loved. Hey, uh, nice. Fincher. Fincher. Uh, just uh, weirdly a comfort film for me. I just, I just loved being taken back to that era. It, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, Gorgeously photographed film. Uh, I love Reznor and Ross's score. Um, I just think that I don't know. For me, it was it was. I just loved living in that world. I loved the mono sound mix. I was really impressed from it from a technical standpoint. I still think he should have shot it on film, but I I found it interesting that he shot digitally and then degraded it by two thirds and 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 it 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 gave an interesting look. It gave a a clarity to the actors' faces, but also a a, a grainy look to the background. So. Um, but Fincher doesn't shoot on film, so it, it's not like something that. Is that it really expect. because he just can't do as many takes if he? Is well, it, I, is, I don't know that he. I don't know like if on Fight Club or Seven or Game if he was doing 100, 200 takes. I don't know yeah. that. I, I can't imagine, especially now with how limited film is. Um, but I mean, I don't know. For me, Mank, I thought uh, Gary Oldman was incredible. I just. I found the the sound mix to be such a comforting thing. I put it on in the background sometimes and just listen to it. I I, I love the way the dialogue pops. I love the way 
I, I just love the sequences. I love the I love every element of the dialogue and the way the actors say the dialogue and the way it was photographed and scored. And and to me, it was just as I sat there and watched, I just felt comforted. It it, it felt like cinema um, in a weird, strange way. And I know everything we're talking about is cinema, but there's something about that story and the way it's designed and the fact that it's Fincher and who's scoring it and the and just everything about it. I just fell in love with the world and I wanted to live in the world. So I actually put that movie on a lot just to just to enter the world again. Um, I think it's a gorgeous, gorgeous film. So that's my number four. Very nice. Um, so a four, I went with uh, the movie that Jake mentioned uh, late and reminded me that it came out, which is The Kid Detective. Hey, yes. And I don't know what just the list that I was looking at didn't have it. And so this might speak to how hard it's been for people to find it. But this goes uh, very much off of what Kevin is talking about. Like, I thought it created a world that I just wanted to spend more time in. And yeah. um, I love detective films. I've talked about that at length. Um, I grew up on the Encyclopedia Brown books. So it was really strange to see somebody do the director mentions in our interview. And if you end up checking out Kid Detective, go back and listen to our interview uh, with him and Adam Brody uh, that he kind of wanted to do a an adult uh, Encyclopedia Brown movie, but he just couldn't get the rights or never even thought to get the rights of the name and put it on it. So he just wrote his own story. But the movies that this that I compare this to are like Ryan Johnson's Brick, um, the nice guys that Shane Black did, a Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which Shane Black did. So and, and these are movies that like years after the fact, people are like, why was it? Why were these movies like overlooked? Well, this is what happens when <laughs> people don't see these films when they come out. And Kid Detective creates this truly original and colorful and fascinating world that these really interesting characters uh, are going through. And too many of these films can get lost in the aesthetic of creating that world. But the story in The Kid Detective is really compelling as well, too. And it it hides some really gut punching uh, surprises that are coming as the as the case unfolds. So it, it puts that character on uh, the shelf with some really classic um movie detectives from films like and i'm not exaggerating when i say this chinatown or la confidential like it it goes down that kind of rabbit hole while still maintaining maintaining the idea of there was this kid who was a a a brilliant child detective one time uh and he's grown up in this town where people have kind of come to hate the fact that he's still (laughs) still around and adam brody is great in it and it leans heavy into its bizarreness and um i loved it I i loved it and it's it's funny i can say this now like we were offered that uh, film and the director as an interview and at the time all of us were just like I mean I guess you know yeah sure uh, we'll take them and then I'm so glad we did because I loved the movie yeah. and I loved the director and it's a great reminder that um, we need to keep an open mind about about films because you never know when you're going to sit down and watch something that just connects with you on uh, on a million different levels so Kid Detective made it he, all the way up to number four for me he says 30 seconds after I'm like yeah I didn't really want to watch First Cow <laughs> no, listen. I tried it. I at least tried you it. You did, so. yeah. Good All you. right, four for Jake. Uh, my number four is a movie that we've already talked about pretty extensively. Um, Promising young woman. Um, nice. I also agree. I think it's Carrie Mulligan's best performance. It might be my my favorite performance. Um, one of, one of definitely one of my favorite performances of the year. Period. Um, I think that there is there is a, a single shot in the opening minutes of the movie that I think kind of perfectly work as a microcosm to represent what this movie is, which it starts with her walking down the street, kind of starts like just on her feet, like walking and on her legs. And you start thinking, and and she's like, she has like something like red, liquidy, like deep red dripping down. And you're like, is that, is that 
blood that's like dripping down from it and it kind of like pans up and then you realize kind of like what oh okay i see what's going on and i felt like watching the movie i didn't really know what you know i, I was watching it because I, I did the junket and i didn't really know uh, much about it i didn't you know i just kind of pressed play on it one night and i'm so glad i did and to, and to your point john i'm glad you didn't go any further when you were explaining the plot i didn't mm-hmm. know what it was about and i felt like that i mean one just the discovery of of what the movie was about is mm-hmm. you know in and of itself like pretty thrilling and then seeing it go a couple of different directions and kind of lulls you into this false sense of security only to kind of whip you back around again and then just the way just the resolution uh that you know the final act just everything about it just thought like you know, it like kicks you in the gut and like you finally catch your breath and you, you think that that's it. And then you get kicked in the gut again. But it like it waits for you to catch your breath and make you think you're OK and makes you like, OK, you good. You're good. And then kicks you in the gut again. Um, at some point, I want to have a conversation about the end of the film. I'd love to. When, when we can. Yeah. yeah. When we can. Yeah. When more people have I seen it. I talked to them about it. Did you? Yeah. OK. Yeah. I, I, would, I want to have an in-depth yeah. discussion on the show about the end. Yeah. Um, I'd love to. When we can. So I'd love to. that's a six, five and f- it landed at six, five and four on our list. I have a feeling uh, that's going to make the real blend top five consecutively. So uh, is, it, is that, is that our, our first three. one so far? Is that our first one so far? That's, that's, that's made all everybody's. Our... Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. Top three. Kevin McCarthy. Uh, my number three is the invisible man, uh, <laughs> which Very I revisited high. over the weekend. And it's, it's just an incredible achievement. Um, for the budget that that film was made, it is just incredible. Um, Lee Winnell understands the frame of a movie so incredibly well. Every inch of that frame is important. Um, the score, the sound design. I love the brilliant opening credits with the water hitting the rocks and then the, the water falling and then the invisible man popping up. Uh, I think that this film really brought me into an interesting uh, world of horror where while the film seems fantastical, everything I was watching felt believable. I actually believed the science. I understood the science of how he would turn invisible with all the camera lenses all over yeah. his body. Wasn't it, the original like a potion? Like he drank something? Wasn't isn't that? Something like, like that. They, they kind of wrote it off like, oh, he drank something. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. And in this case, it was so grounded in reality that it, like, it felt like science that we, would, we could achieve in 20 years. Sure. So that made it really scary because could you, I mean, I'd never really thought about this before, but if you're in your home and someone's there to hurt you and you can't see them, like that is a insanely terrifying concept that I don't think was ever really, I really understood as an audience member until I saw this film from the sense of, because I believed the science. I also believed, because the beginning of the film, there's a a shot in the beginning of the film, which I think is is such a brilliant shot that foreshadows the whole film, which is where you're in bed with Elizabeth Moss, and she pulls her covers down and his hand is just over top of her stomach. Um, and it's, just, it's an image of power. It's an image of what he has over her. Um, and I think that's the point is that she obviously she escapes and then he haunts her through the Invisible Man suit. But it is I just like I found the film to be so brilliant from a technical standpoint, but also an emotional standpoint. I think Aldous Hodge is brilliant in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elizabeth Moss's performance is incredible, deserves an Academy Award nomination. Um, sound design wise, it is the, there. There's the wonder in the kitchen, which is 
still to this day, I don't, I, I've had Lee Winnell explain to me twice in person, <laughs> once for our podcast and once for our TV interview. And I still don't understand how they did it. Um, like they were, she was fighting a guy in a green suit and it was all in one shot. And like, I mean, like it was just, it's an unbelievable sequence. Um, that sequence alone, um, they put it in my top 10, but the film itself, um, I think is, I just think it's a really, really incredible film emotionally, technically. It also has the most shocking scene I've seen in film in 2020, which was the restaurant oh, scene with her sister, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. which I still, every time I watch that scene, it is, I, I, I just sit there and I go, and you see that knife just floating in midair. And then it, it's just, what a crowd moment, right? Like what a, what a moment where Lee Winnell was just sitting there like oh. orchestrating this masterpiece. And he was like, here we go. They have no yeah, idea yeah, yeah. what's coming. I mean, <laughs> the control over the audience, like Winnell understands audience so well. And I think he, he, he's a guy that came up like us. He's like a, he did movie reviews and you know, things like that. He, he uh, obviously co-created saw, but I think upgrade was a great example of his, uh, of his unique ability to tell stories, but invisible man was made for what? Seven or 8 million. And that film has some of the most incredible visual effects I've ever seen. Like it looks, it's it's astounding. In, in terms of budget to to box office, obviously you know there's a huge chunk of this year where it doesn't matter. But like just those first three months of 2020, is that the most successful film of the year? It's got to be up there or, for oh, sure. Budget to box office, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's got to be. And that's the Blumhouse model. Yeah. Um, one thing I think that really helped Invisible Man too was coming after uh, the Mummy, the Tom Cruise Mummy. Which yeah. is like the definition of hollow, yeah. hollow effects and, you know, no real investment in characters and, and just trying to do action set pieces. Like, you care about yeah. Elizabeth Moss's character in Invisible 100%. Man. 100%. So yeah. And, and weren't they supposed to be setting up Johnny Depp to be the... Wasn't that the whole Dark Universe I think, yeah, yeah, thing, I think remember? So. Like, Johnny yeah. Depp I mean, was going to be the Invisible Man. Yeah. You think about that scene in the attic. I mean, like... I, everything works because you care about her. Like, sure. there's a... There, the scariest scene in that movie to me is the scene where she is standing there with uh, Storm Reed, the girl from uh, um, Wrinkle in Time. Wrinkle in Time, yeah. And the Invisible Man slaps Storm Reed in the face. And there's no way for Elizabeth Moss to defend herself to the father when he walks in and goes, and the daughter's like, she just hit me. What? Yeah. It's the same thing as the sister sequence um, with the knife. Like, that to me is so terrifying that you that you could be blamed for something that horrible and have no way to explain it to anybody. Yeah. Like that yeah, yeah. is such a terrifying concept. Like, like he puts the knife in her hand after yeah. he slits her sister's throat. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. my god! Like, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> like, everyone's yeah, staring right. at you. So, anyways, all right. Um, number three for me is Paul Greengrass's News of the World. And, Great movie. Um, I, I, if you ask me my favorite genres, I would. I don't think I'd get to western, uh, in in the top five of things I would name. Yet. I just I wrote next to News of the World movies like Open Range, uh, the Costumes film, uh, Silverado, Lawrence Kasdan's movie from back in the day, Unforgiven, the Coens doing True Grit. When a Western clicks, I love it. I just love it. I love there's something timeless about the Western. I love the pace that News of the World moves at. I love the I, to me, and I wrote this when I was writing my top ten list, and this wasn't meant to to diminish any of the other films. News of the World was the only movie this year that I saw on a smaller screen that I wish I saw on the big screen because the cinematography yeah. uh, demands that you tell like the way that uh, Darius, um, whose last name is escaping me, cinematographer who worked for Paul Greengrass, the way that they capture 
the frontier and the old west is just phenomenal to me and there were times in that movie where i got lost in just the production design because they recreated old towns and in each one looked a little bit different that tom that tom hanks went to uh and each one had their own little unique personality to them and i got lost in those little bit of worlds and it's got a great story about him finding this girl and and trying to bring uh, this girl back to her people whether her people are even a thing i loved what kevin discussed earlier which was this concept of someone who brings the news around to towns and it reminds you that like oh that's the way that we used to operate as a society what a fantastic way to and and how much so then in in recreating the past and so many of our movies uh this year whether it be uh, The Five Bloods, One Night in Miami, they restaged uh, Chicago 7, they restaged old events but made connections to contemporary times. And News of the World makes some really prescient points about what kind of trust do we put in our news source? Like when Tom Hanks stands up in these towns to give the news, he's immediately facing some blowback of the people who either don't want to hear it from him or don't trust where he's coming from. And I was like, God, that's still so relevant. Like today, yeah. you know, where you turn to get your news yeah. from. Yeah. Half but that even, audience was Fox news. Half that audience was CNN. hundred exactly, percent. Yes. Yeah. No, no question. Uh, and even just like his story, his story with the girl, um, like he's faced with a really difficult journey to take this girl on. And there's a bunch of times where it seems really difficult for him to even hold on to her. And he stays with her because it's the right thing to do. And I was like, oh, that's right. Sometimes compassion for each other has to shine through. And yes, it's difficult to do. And of course, who do you want to tell that story uh, but Tom Hanks? And so a lot of times I think we take it for granted. Um, but when he delivers a five-star, top-of-the-line performance like this, um, you, I want to stop it and, and truly appreciate it because, you know, who knows how many more of, of performances we'll ever get from Tom Hanks or how many times he'll line up with a project that's just so rewarding. And so um, I went into News of the World expecting it to Larry be... Larry Crown 2. I expected it to be good. You know, Greengrass makes great movies. Tom Hanks is good. and But those two were just on the same page and man alive. What do you prefer, was, uh, Captain Phillips or News of the World? News of the World, 100%. Do you? Yeah, 100%. Really? Um, I... I didn't love Captain Phillips the way everybody else did, although I grant that his performance is really strong in it. Um, but I was way more into the story of, uh, of News of the World. So it made my Damn. top three. Damn. Jakey. Uh, my number three is Palm Springs. I feel oh, like wow. the movie, uh, more than any other, that kind of perfectly captured what 2020 was. Just this idea of not not even so much like living the same day over and over again, but getting to the point where we all kind of went like, all right, let's try some shit. Like, why not? Like, the fact that we as a society started baking bread together and the fact that, like, we all started doing, you know, this thing and we started doing that thing. And, and uh, you know, it, it's, you know, so often when, when movies do the, the repeat the same day over and over again trope, people instantly almost knock it. Like, oh, it's just knocking, you know, it's just knocking off Groundhog Day. But so many filmmakers have taken that just idea and gone so many great different directions with it. You look at Edge of Tomorrow and, and Happy Death Day. Like, you can take that basic idea and still do really cool, unique things with it without it being a ripoff of, uh, of Groundhog Day. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was incredibly funny. That's probably the movie for me, Sean, that, like, when it was over, I immediately wanted to go back, back and, like, press play. Again, mm-hmm. I, another movie where I did not know what it was about, and I'm so glad I didn't. Uh, and so the moment where he gets shot in the shoulder with an arrow, I just because it kind of you're, you're set up to believe like oh like 
I knew it was kind of a Sundance hit and it, it had been purchased. And so I thought it was just a really fun rom-com of two people that meet at a wedding. And then there's a moment about 10 minutes in where he gets hit in the shoulder with an arrow. And then you just go, what the hell is it? And he goes into runs into a glowing cave and you're like, what is this movie? What am I watching? Everyone's great. The chemistry is fantastic. Really smart script. And uh, I, I, just, I love that movie to pieces. Their chemistry is off the charts. Yeah. Good. So insane. Good. Insane. Yeah. It's so good. And it, it powers that movie. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Kev, two. My number two is Soul. And I, I've been saying that for a while. I love Soul. Um, it just meant a lot to me personally. I just think it was... Uh, I've just never seen a film visualize mental health like that before. It was just incredible. Um, Score-wise, like, that's one of my favorite Reznor scores, Ross scores. It's just... So good. That movie is in, is insane. It's like, like, there, like, there's a, like, there's a whole, like, 2001 sequence where, like, they're, like, going, like, like it's really kind of like a, uh, it's a really a big filmmaking um, movie from a, like, homages to classic films, uh, and there's, like, I saw something the other day, I don't know, if was it Jake or somebody sent this, the Nine Inch Nails yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That was really yeah. cool. Oh, that's um, funny. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I just think it's. I think Jamie Fox was incredible. I just think I've. I just never really. There's a moment in that movie where he walks out of the club at the end, and he, and and he, uh, after he achieves his dream, and he says, "I don't feel any different." And I was just like, "Like that isn't that, that's 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 a lot of people." Get Can't to you that relate point. to that? Hundred percent. Like 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 like, like, like yeah, not even like, something on like his scale. But have you ever had like? an interview that you like super wanted or you were super jacked yeah. about and when you get it like when you like done like it goes perfectly well and you're happy yeah. and you walk out and you go like okay all right yeah. well like that's that's i guess that's off my list now well I, yeah. I think the whole point of that was that like we put so much pressure on ourselves to do or be something and so we don't right. realize that we're already doing you're and doing being it. something yeah, yeah. You're doing and it. it's like i never really thought about it before i never the concept of a lost soul uh graham norton's character the flipping of the sign like that's what depression feels like man you're just like walking through life your mind's not in it you're not there you're not present you are just like a body moving in life and it's like that's exactly i've never seen that visualized yeah. like that um so to i'm so me, glad was, you told us that before i had a chance to see it you had mentioned to in our text thread about that that representation of and, and you've yeah. talked very openly about you know different things that you that you work through and and i was so glad that you told me that before and it really made me kind of like, okay, when that scene happened, like really kind of focus on, okay, like this is something that someone that means a lot to me experiences. So like, like this is helping, you know, it, it was really it, like the, the fact that you mentioned that made me even appreciate those moments a lot more than I think I would have otherwise. I'm, I'm glad you said that because honestly like that, it's weird because when you, when you, when you review a film like that, it's such a personal experience that sure. I'm not telling people that, that like, that's what you're going to take from it. Um, but that's what I took from it. And like, I have just, it just was, it just meant a lot to me from a filmmaking standpoint to see a film do that. It's not a kid's movie <laughs> at all. Uh, it's such a, it's such an adult film. I think, um, thematically, I don't, I don't know what a five, six year old would, would take away from that movie. I, I, well, I, I've I mean, had a friend say that they watched it with their grandkid. And after 20 minutes, the kid was just wandering away. Like, yeah, it, 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 yeah. No interest. Like the, well, the only the thing whole... I could think of is it like maybe the body swapping thing with the cat. They might enjoy that, but like, you get like you, 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Yeah, into yeah, yeah, oh, yeah exactly. I don't know if a kid could last, could last long because like you need to like have gone through some shit to like really get something out of soul. Yeah, you you have to have right. dreams. Yeah, you need to have have had <laughs> dreams and then lived long enough for some yeah. of those dreams to not have worked out. Not, right, but also exactly, think, exactly. think about how devastating it is that he was going through his life thinking he was a failure. Yeah, 
I mean, that's that's he thought he was had done nothing, done nothing with his life. He thought he had made yeah. no impact whatsoever on anybody. Right. Yeah. Um, well, so it was just a cool arc. It's my number one, so I'll I'll take some time to weigh in on it as now too, um, because I wait. Was, what's your number two? Uh, uh, two is tenant. Oh, oh, sorry, one sorry. I see what you're doing. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, sorry. Yeah, Soul is my number one, so I'll just talk about it real fast. Um, I've seen it three times. It's a, it's honestly, we say this a lot of times. It's a different film every time you watch it, because the first time I watched it through, I thought it was Joe's story, Jamie Foxx's character, so I was paying attention to his arc. Mm-hmm. And the second time through, I watched it as 22's movie, and it was a completely different yeah. film. Yep. And because, Kevin, you told us about those moments where she faces all that stuff later, when I watched that the first time through, those scenes hit me of just like, why are we going through this? Like, I don't understand how this connects to Joe sort of thing. But even that says a lot about her and how, you know, she doesn't think she's part of anyone's journey sort right. of thing. But it is it's largely her story um and and the third time through i just i just enjoyed the ride completely like it aspires to so many things that pixar while we give them a ton of credit i still feel like Pete doctor was like on another level than anything pixar's really ever done in this um and the the body swap makes me laugh every time <laughs> it should be immature and it should be goofy right. and it should be stupid but when the two of them are falling down every time i watch it i just think joe's gonna land in his body and when he doesn't yeah. i laugh i just laugh i just think it's funny i think it's i think it's dumb but I, that I, really I like really that, works i like that edit when like the doctors come in and you and you think they're hearing her uh and yeah, like yeah, they just cut yeah. to the sound of the cat like just making its cat sounds <laughs> by the way can we talk about real fast that barbershop scene that barbershop scene like that that is the movie right there like that monologue that that guy gives about like what what does he say when he leaves the door he's like he goes how come you never told me about this before he goes because you never asked never asked yeah i was like oh my god i was like it's just like a what an amazing film and there's so many things too just of like one of the questions i asked pete doctor was like how how do you even begin to um visualize and animate the afterlife yeah you have a blank slate because no one can say to you like, well, that's wrong, <laughs> you know? And, and I love the forms that they use and I love how peaceful it is. And I love I'm, everything about soul works so incredibly well for me that so that's good. why it's my number one. So that that's, that's where I am with that. And the music. Oh my God. The music is, is incredibly, incredibly good. Yeah. Well, you, you, you technically skipped your two. So just might as well I give did. your two. Um, well, wait, Jake, where are you? Give, you Jake, give, you give your number two for, and then Sean's number two will work into your guys' number one. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, my number two is The Trial of the Chicago 7. Oh, nice. Um, you know, I kind of almost put it in the category of uh, a few years ago with The Post, where it's a movie that is made up of my weaknesses. Like, The Post was Spielberg, Tom Hanks, journalism is important. <laughs> yeah. um, Trial yeah. of the Chicago 7 is courtroom scenes, Aaron Sorkin dialogue, set in Chicago. Uh, it is just a, a, a like a, an incredible accumulation of things that just my knees buckle for that I love. I, I mean, I think there is nothing better than not just Aaron Sorkin dialogue, but Aaron Sorkin dialogue set within a courtroom. Um, you know, I actually really you know think not not to say that someone else couldn't have done it better, but I actually think it, he did a pretty damn good job with direction. Um, and and I think his growth from one film to another between Molly's Game and this is really promising and like if he was able to grow that much between because i wasn't a big fan of molly's game my big complaint being someone else should have taken the script and directed it 
But if he got that much better between movies one and two, I can't imagine what two and three or, or two to four, two to five would be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I live in Chicago. Had always kind of heard about this thing that happened at the DNC, but, like, didn't really know much of the, the details of it. And just, like, so much of that. Not, not that this should matter, but, like, so much of, like, especially the exterior scenes were shot, like, a mile down the road. Like, places I walk by to go to work every day. And, and you, I walk around and I look and I'm just like, God, like... Like this, this happened, you know, like this happened, like li- literally right here, like at this place. Um, and, and then to have it be also so unfortunately relevant to Dude. things that happened this summer by accident. Like he didn't yeah. know it's, it, you know, it's not like, it, like the post kind of came out of, I felt like Trump, but this like Chicago seven didn't come out of George Floyd. I can't imagine how they watched the current events play yeah. out. And riots in the streets over police brutality. Yeah. yeah. At a time when they had a movie set in 1968 about riots in the streets yeah. over police, police yeah. brutality. Yeah. How do you line that yeah. up? That's, it's impossible. Like the, the the protests that were represented in that movie that took place in the late, late 1960s, protests took place there this summer. Like yes. same place. And yeah. with, with signs, a lot of the signs that read and said the same thing. That's and, 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 you know, it is unfortunate how oftentimes we look at movies like that that are set at, at 50 years ago and short of the technology and like what the cars look like and the hairstyles, you don't have to change that much to slap 2020 or 2021 on there and go took place today. So true. I mean, that almost speaks to where when Spike had the BLM protests sure, in 100%. Five and, you asked him, and you asked that great question. I asked him if he reshot that to include yeah. it. And he said, no, it was always part of the plan. Yeah. Um, because things don't change, unfortunately. Yeah. So my number two is your guys' number ones, I imagine. Time to dive into Christopher Nolan's Tenet. And I'll go first because um, on the show, I'm not the big Nolan guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I uh, I generally like his films. I don't love them. Um, I probably prefer his Batman films. Well, that's not accurate because I love The Prestige. And I do like Inception a lot. Um, but this, this was my favorite Nolan for a while like for a while mm-hmm. um i just really i thought it was everything that he can do um at its most entertaining uh like obviously his screenplays are challenging and they demand your they, they they demand that you pay attention uh he's not spoon feeding anything to you um i've had a lot of fun kevin while you said the discourse has been really discouraging for you i have sort of enjoyed listening to people uh what their critiques are because I don't agree with them, but I'm curious to see what they what they do take away from them, where they say things like it's the only Christopher Nolan film that's not about anything. And I'm like, I, what, do, what did you watch kind of thing? Or like mm-hmm. some people who talk about like there's no humor or personality in it at all. And I'm like, did you watch John David Washington? Like that man is he's 100 percent charisma like yeah. all the time, all the time. So that's when when I read critiques like that, I'm like, well, your ma- your mind was made up beforehand. You're not actually commenting on what happens in the film. Um, your mind is made up. And so but but on this alone, I've never seen action set pieces like this ever, ever. Like, I mean, the, the backwards car chase and and um, the conclusion with one team going in one direction and one team going in the other direction. Like people just don't, you, we're not wired to think yeah. like that. So this I, movie, As much shit as I gave Kevin for like using this phrase over and over again, 
I have to admit, I think Kevin was right by saying we weren't ready for this movie. We're still yeah, not I, I, ready me, for it. Nothing drives me more up the wall than having to admit Kevin McCarthy yeah. was right. But spot on. Spot We're on. We're still not ready for it. And, I've seen and it eight this, times. Was the, this was the first movie that made me buy into Kevin's belief that I'm scared. I'm a little scared of Nolan now like, <laughs> because I just, yeah. to me, normally he was just like a man. But like now, oh. I I really don't understand how he thinks, right? Um, and can do this on a on a repeat basis. So my only fault with Tenant uh, is my own is that I've only seen it one time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of waiting for Michelle because she wants to watch it again, and I want that to be my second time through. But I know it's going to be so rewarding a second time through, and I can't wait to sort of give it the the time and the concert. It's just been really hard, but with timing and and the boys and everything we've been doing over the holidays. But I'm looking forward to seeing it again really soon, and uh, and. Be- cause it connected with me as dress as beautifully as it did it made it to number two also i have to just mention like that stretch of this year where we were the the the, the four of us trying to figure out how are we going to see it um were we going to get nolan then we weren't going to get nolan <laughs> then he got approved. Oh, we're about to get him and like protests are breaking out in the country and like rightfully yeah. so like like we were like 20 minutes away from doing it and it got pushed and and yeah. Uh, that that felt to me like the fr- the only pocket of normalcy because it was like the closest to what our lives yeah. were and hopefully yeah. we'll be again sometime soon. So that was a rush yeah. and I will always love that movie um, for giving us that. So, uh, Jake, let's go to you. Yeah, to give I was, Kevin, I, Kevin I was going to ask if I could go next because yeah. <laughs> uh, one, even though it's my number one and Kevin's number one, it's Kevin's number one to an infinite degree. And I want to give credit to Kevin for, in a way, inspiring me to be open to the idea of how this movie could change over time. Cause I, I like, you know, we all had a really great, what two hour long conversation. Um, mm-hmm. after the, the, the night that we all saw it, um, before all the discourse started where we were just really de- geeked out at that time. I, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. And at, you know, I was kind of chalking it up to like, Oh, it's going to be a solid, like number four, number five on my top 10 list by the end of the year. But something that always hung over me is like, I really, now that I, now that I, Get it. Now that I understand it, ish, I want to go back and watch it again. <laughs> and, you know, we didn't really have, like, the, the our normal, for lack of a better word, like, movie-going experience this year, like, in, in, traditionally speaking. So, for me, I've now seen it five times. The, the, the watching and re-watching, the, the assembly, de-assembly, reverse engineering of the plot... Um, the, the almost treating it like I got, yesterday on air, I compared it to uh, a, a thousand piece puzzle. You can't, you would never expect yourself to put that together in one sitting. You're right. working on it for a while. Then you go off, you come back, you kind of put, and then slowly you kind of start seeing what the picture is. But if you get mad that you only put a hundred pieces together and can't tell what it is and then walk away, well, that's not on you because you did, because the puzzle's not over. And Having now seen it five times, I, I'd say I have a pretty damn good understanding of it. I'm still picking up fun little like things that were there all along. Someone said something that blew my mind yesterday. I know we talked a lot about the, like, is Elizabeth Debicki's son Robert Pattinson theory. Mm. Someone brought up a theory to me yesterday, which blew my mind, which is, is the young scientist who introduces him to the gun, like the, the bullets in the wall, is she the... The Oppenheimer that yeah. come that that is she the one that grows up to become the Oppenheimer? Yeah, down oh, the road man. that kills herself and put goes think, back in the. 
That, I think it's either, it, it, that's either her or it's relate it's related to her. Yeah, that like um, that that like yeah. I'd never heard that before, and that like blew my yeah. mind that she's the one that ends up like um, because oh she God. because she has an understanding of like how she, how badly shit goes. Anyway, I, it's a movie that I love more and more and more every time I see it, and I don't think I would have been as open to the idea of revisiting it or or the possibility the possibility of it being the same movie but changing or me changing as I watch it had it not been. For Kevin's deep, passionate love, I even I full disclosure. Kevin knew that this was my number one just because I kind of had to like admit. I texted him just like admitting, like, dude, like, gonna be honest with you, man. Like, wasn't gonna put this as my number one. Spent four <laughs> weeks, like, like I, I did something which like which <laughs> Kevin does all the time, and I don't do. I, this is not a thing I do. Which is like, woke up one morning sat on a Saturday, was drinking coffee, and just casually went like, I'm gonna put on the last thirty minutes of Tenet and just press play and watch like the battle scene. That's not a thing I do. But I found myself wanting to do it and like sitting there watching and going, oh, okay, I get it. Like it's editing here. Like this quick edit is blue. This quick edit is red. Like, oh, I get it now. And that's, it's not Nolan's fault that we didn't get it the first time through, you know? And, and if How does he it, get it? How does he get well, it? Well, like to, to, I think I read a quote from him where he said <laughs> he has to keep ready. in mind. Like he was like, I, I, this is something that I've been thinking about for years. So like, yeah, 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 of yeah. course, yeah. of course I'm that much further ahead than everyone else is. Um, so you know, I, I hope over time people come around and, and can admit, not their shortcomings as an audience member, but admit that, like, sometimes movies do take, and, and if someone says, I shouldn't need more than one time, I go, cool, okay, sure. that's fine, but you're robbing yourself of something great. And it was yeah. it is far and away my number one favorite film of the year. Kev? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, Jake, I appreciate I, I appreciate what you everything you said because uh, I I agree with everything you said. Um, it is, I, I I it's hard to put into words how much this, how I love this film. I, I'm, one of my favorite things to do during the pandemic specifically has been um, if if any family members come over or any uh, anyone comes over safely, obviously, um, I like to hold court and show <laughs> and, 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 I, and I literally I do an I do a Nolan presentation for anybody who comes over to my house. Um, and it's a 4k presentation with IMAX sequences. Um, and my, uh, this past weekend, my stepfather or Lauren's stepfather, uh, came over and and mother came over. Uh, and yeah. And, and, and we, I got to hold court and, and explain and show tenant to him. Um, and one of the cool things about it was he had absolutely no idea what IMAX cameras were, aspect ratios were. The fact that like no one does pretty much everything in camera, he was like, he was astounded that like of what he was experiencing because the majority of people who watch Tenet now are going to either get it on iTunes or whatever and they're not going to get the full aspect ratio shifts with the IMAX. Um, Tenet is like the I equate it to the greatest roller coaster I've ever ridden, um, and I say that because uh, emotionally I'm with it, but the ramp up to every single action scene felt feels like you're going up the hill of a coaster. Um, and if you listen to the music as the, as he orchestrates the sequences, as we ramp up to the plane scene or ramp up to the highway scene or ramp up to whatever scene we're going into, he's building you up musically mm-hmm. prior to all these moments. Like there's a great beat, uh, an edit beat where the airplane sequence is about to happen. And it's like this, like this bass note as they're going through security at Freeport and he's just building you up like uh, continuously till you get to that dun 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 and as the, as the plane comes into the shot and it's like 
it's all so orchestrated and calculated and it's all in his head. Um, and you, you think about the fact that John David Washington had to learn that fight four times, forward and backwards as the protagonist and backwards and forwards as the antagonist, right? And so you're, you're talking about four different, I don't know if he's technically an antagonist in that scene. But I was just about four, to ask you, there, he's, not, he's not playing the guy it's, in. It's, yeah. Like the, oh, n- well, no, there's a stunt guy in that, in, in that aspect, yeah, but, but John David learned how to fight all sure. four ways. Damn. Um, so <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> if you think about like the, 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 the concept of that, like, like, first of all, you're learning, you're, you're speaking backwards. People are, like, I, I mean, it just is incredible. Now, mm. all that confusion aside, um, it's an incredible story. It's a great uh, story. It's a great story. Um, I, I love his. I love his uh, need to protect Elizabeth Debicki. I, I find I, I engage in that. I also engage in her release from that domestic, uh, terrible domestic abuse situation that mm-hmm. she was in, mm-hmm. um, and and just that that journey, that arc that she has to go on, and that whole diving off the boat, coming back around to the end. I mean, it just truly is astounding filmmaking um yep. and i've been saying this for for months and months and months i'm probably sound like a broken record but i i just genuinely love the film i it, it is something that amps me up it reminds me why i love cinema every time i put it on if i'm having like a down day and i'm like what am i doing you know blah 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 you know and i i'll throw tenet on and i genuinely feel like I feel reborn in a weird way in the sense of like my, my, my passion comes back immediately because um, you go into dark spaces sometimes with depression and things like that. And I just find when I throw Tenet on, I, I it can pull me out of any negative space that I'm in. And I just feel like I just feel like this is pure filmmaking. Nobody is pushing cinema ahead like Christopher Nolan. Nobody is like he has set the bar so high for practical action sequences that I don't understand how any filmmaker looks at that and goes, "Well, I got, I got, I got to be like that. I got, I got to be, I got to be better. I got to use less CGI. I got, I, I have to do as much as I can in camera. I have to make this as realistic as possible." And like when you're watching him fight himself backwards, right? The long takes of action. Those guys are holding massive IMAX cameras and they're getting in there intimately in gigantic frames of action. It is just I've never seen anything like it. I mean, Tenet is so. It's just so far beyond any filmmaking I've ever seen. And I feel like I'm lucky to be alive to experience this director. Um, this is And like we f- got to talk to him. Yeah, but it, but it, it, it's like, Briefly. it's like, I feel like decades from now, like I would look, you know, I look back at the uh, 60s and 70s and 50s and 40s, whatever. And I'm like, oh my God, I would love to have. Uh, I would love to have been alive to experience Hitchcock's work or um, or Orson Welles or uh, Kubrick when he was at his peak, right? If I could have experienced them in, in the time frame, we get to have one of those guys in our lifetime. Um, hmm. And I think, you know, I'm not saying he's better than Steven Spielberg. Spielberg has obviously a greater filmography and a better storytelling. Or arc. Darren Aronofsky even. Right. But I mean, we... We should consider ourselves lucky that we're living in a time period that a filmmaker like this is working to his full potential and he's using technology and filmmaking like I've never seen before. No feature filmmaker has ever used that type of camera before Dark Knight to tell narrative storytelling in feature films. It was it was, it was unbelievable. So How great was uh, Patty Jenkins when we were interviewing her and she's like, I talk to Chris about IMAX cameras all the time. <laughs> she's like blown away. Yeah. I talk Chris. to Chris all the time. Chris. I, I could no never call him Chris. 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 I would never. I couldn't call him Chris. I wish well, you call I him Chrissy, stuck, right? Yeah, Chrissy. I, I wish I had like Chrissy stuck poo. with Jacob no Hamilton. 
So like you could tell, you know how like when you could tell someone's friends with Robert De Niro, they're like, oh yeah, I was talking to Bob the other day or like Marty yeah. Scorsese. I wish I'd stuck like with like Jacob Hamilton so that you could mm. tell who my friends were based on who called me Jake. You're not a Jacob though. It's just, you're not. You just got on the Jacob list. Okay, <laughs> what is the real blend collective top five? All right, I'll briefly go through these uh, before we move on. So basically, to explain the quote-unquote rules, don't take this seriously at all. I'm sure there are better ways to weight this. <laughs> no, I think okay. I, you, you described it to I me before it the simple. show, and it sounds to me it sounds perfectly fair. Very straightforward. So basically, uh, I just everything got a score on your guys' list, on the guys' list. Uh, so if you gave it a 10, it got one point. If you gave it number one, it got 10 points. Fill everything else in between. Pretty straightforward. Um so we'll call this the top five of the podcast of the year. Um, and number f- number five, I think, is my- maybe the most interesting. Number five is uh, The Kid Detective. Yeah. Hey. Hey. I'm okay with awesome. that. Like that excites me. It's a great movie. Uh, number four, Trial of the Chicago 7. Okay. Number three, Promising Young Woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number two, Soul. Mm-hmm. And then number one, Tenet. Okay, I'm mad about it. That's a damn good top five. Ten it nearly with a perfect score, twenty nine points out of a possible thirty. Fantastic, uh, deserve it. Damn, absolutely. Uh, Gabe, it. I, I know, I know you hate. Oh, you're gonna feet to the question. fire. But if you just had to, <laughs> if you just had to be like, I mean, what what was your favorite movie? And I feel like favorites easier than yeah. than best. Like, what was the one? A movie that I've I've only seen one time, and then I saw about half of it when I was showing it to. Uh, my mother and stepfather that I'm excited to see again. I still like, I'm like super pumped to see it again. And just for some reason, I can't wait to like, I just can't wait to go back to it is Mank. I figured that was going to be your, your, it's such a terrible, awful, gritty, romantic time of an industry that I love that. I just love going back. And the fact that it's told within the time, within stories of that time, like stories of that time were told, I should say, um there's something about that that just hits me in this year in particular 2020 in particular where i just needed to be lifted away and just like i said in this romantic other world so um good. yeah uh, make comes to mind Tenet's also up there uh, it's fantastic yeah all right so those are our top 10 lists uh, collectively and individually if you guys want to share your top 10 list with us uh, send them to realblendedsendblend.com uh briefly i'm going to get to this week in movies it still feels like we're in a kind of a limbo where, you know, big things aren't opening yet, uh, but it also feels like big things aren't coming to streaming just yet because Amazon Prime Video has a film called Herself, which is coming out on January 8th. And then Netflix uh, is bringing Pieces of a Woman, a film that we expect to be talking about as we get through the awards season heavily, uh, primarily because I just saw today that um, Vanessa Kirby is the frontrunner in the Best Actress conversation right now. I, w- I wouldn't be to. mad if I she mean, won. The opening yeah. 30 minutes of that film, yeah. I haven't seen anything that intense in Saving Private Ryan. Like, wow. like that immersive. Like, and, so, and, you're and it's going to be very completely... triggering for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and I'll say this, and the only reason the Saving Private Ryan uh, comparison is made is because they're both experiences that I one obviously will never be on the beaches of Normandy or World War II and two I will never give birth clearly mm-hmm. so um, there are two in a, it, two situations of sequences that I, I will never experience in my own life that I felt like I was there for them uh, in the in the sense that and I will never know what it's like to give birth I'm not ta- I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that I know that I just felt yeah. like I, I understood it better by being by seeing the film if that makes sense <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's coming to Netflix starting on January 7th. And again, it's probably something you want to check out if you want to keep up to date with what's going on with the awards race. So this week's blend game uh, is dedicated to the co-star of Wonder Woman 19 1984, uh, the beautiful uh, and glamorous Chris Pine. <laughs> Y'all thought I was that's, going to direction. That's a beautiful man. Oh my God. No, so he's literally one of the dudes who I've done, done junkets with him before. And every time you sit across from him, He's ridiculously handsome, and you just want to say, like, go to hell, you son of a bitch. Like, how on earth are you allowed We're to... like, you kind of want him to be a little bit of an asshole to at least, like, balance out you. So that way you could be like, well, yeah, he's good looking, but he's a jerk. But he's also very nice in he's person. He's also I've never had... just the yeah. nicest guy, yeah. <laughs> the nicest dude who gives really great interviews. And so uh, let's celebrate the beauty of Chris Pine. This is one of those instances Gabe has told me where if I count three, two, one, we will all give our answer and it will be the exact same one. So let's do that. Uh, three, two, one. Star, Star Trek. Trek. Yes. Um, so I'm going to give what my alternative would have been uh, real fast and then we can dive into how beautiful J.J. Abrams. Hello, High his- Water. Uh, no, um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which people don't I remember. Always forget, I always forget that he's in that. That's yes. the one I thought you were going to pick. And like, I, in fact, yes. when you tweeted the other day, like, Chris yeah. Pine is my Spider-Man, and I was like, what the hell is he talking about? Like, like, <laughs> like is he drunk? Yeah. And it's such a stupid um, reference because he's literally only in it for five minutes total. Um, so how but, is he your, like, Spider-Man then? Because... It's the cadence and the delivery of the humor um, that he gets that I can tell you when I read Spider-Man comics, it sounds like that. Um, yeah. He gets some really great quips over the course of that, uh, the sequences that he has, whether it's the very beginning with the opening montage, even just where he's just like, you know, I was a comic book. I did a Christmas movie. I even got a so-so popsicle. Um, like, <laughs> it's just, it's all about delivery. He's and great. there's there's jokes in the middle of that fight where uh, he's like, Goblin, I can't have you open up this hole over Brooklyn. He's like, Staten Island, maybe, you know, but hmm. like, it's just he get and listen, they're written for him, but he dials into that that humor so well. And um, so I, I, I love him as that. But obviously his take on Captain Kirk and just the revision. I don't love I don't love Star Trek. I don't love it. Um but I love that Kelvin series. I think those two films, the three films, I think all three of them are fantastic. Um, I know true Trekkies call them like Star Wars by way of Star Trek kind of thing. Because um, it felt yep. like JJ wanted to make a Star Wars film. But I don't care. They work really well. And he is phenomenal. And I think that he had a really difficult task of trying to play a new version of Captain Kirk and just, you know, nailed it. And I thought his his the way he played off of, um, of uh, Zachary Kinto is fantastic. I think Kinto does a great Spock. Um, Pine says to me in our uh, Wonder Woman 1984 film that he thinks he's modeling every hero he plays on screen after Indiana Jones and after Harrison and Harrison Ford's approach to the 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 action hero of just like, I don't really want to be here, but I have to be here and. And he's human and he's uh, fallible and all these things that I find fascinating. And it works so, so well in Captain Kirk. And so that's why I I would go with Star Trek uh, as well. Kevin, why do you love uh, Chris Pine as Captain Kirk? Well, I I just think that 2009's Trek was such an accessible film for non-Star Trek fans. Like Mm kind of like what you were saying, I, I, I particularly found 
Like, it's interesting. Like, my favorite Star Trek film before that was Wrath of Khan, which I also think was another accessible Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't love the series. Uh, I just think that what Abrams brought to it, I also am a huge fan of Abrams' lens flares, so I just found, mm-hmm. like, the gorgeous cinematography that Dan Mendel did in the ship with just, like, I, I, I remember hearing stories that, like, I know, I know this is the J.J. Abrams comment more than a Pine comment, but I remember him having, like, flashlights to get, like, the, the lens flares. But back to Pine for a second... My favorite scene in that whole film, aside from the uh, Hemsworth uh, Giacchino sequence, which is just brilliant, is the scene when his hands blow up. Um, and his hands, oh, yeah. and I just, I just love that whole, that whole comic that. relief. That yeah. whole sequence isn't Carl Urban a part of that scene too? It's yeah. like, it's like a really fun sequence. And I just found, I, I just love Pine as that character. He kind of found a way to be an asshole, but not, but, but charming. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not perfect... afraid to make himself the idiot in the scene you know yeah, like but some but guys he, yeah. are like oh i won't play that chris pine plays that yeah. happily he's he he has a very good way of, of of finding tone with characters and like there's something about his kirk that i just really enjoyed i i found him to be a fun character and i i, I understood his flaws i understood where uh what happened to him at a younger age i understood why that impacted impacted him like anytime he's an asshole in any of the scenes in the, in the show in the movie it you understand where he's coming from based on his, the life that he had and i'm not yep. excusing it but he 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 played it in a way where it made it the character was fun to play with. Like it was a fun arc it was fun to watch him on screen him and quinto were incredible um that's definitely my favorite uh, pine Jakey? film. Jakey, uh, how'd you yeah, want it there? Uh, same thing. Uh, you know, he he had to be a lot of cliche things without making them look cliche. He had to kind of be, you know, the the douchebag with the heart of gold, um, and which you know we've seen a thousand times before. But the way he does it also makes it seem really fresh. Um, yeah, he had to be sort of the reluctant hero, which you know he was modeling after you know perhaps the greatest reluctant hero, which is uh, you know Indy. But had to do it without while making it seem fresh. So like he was, I feel like given this, not that the material was was cliche because because it was very well written. His his Kirk was, but like very familiar tropes to touch on to make the character work. But in order to make the character work as well as it did, he had to take those cliche and familiar tropes and present them in such a way that felt fresh and unique to him as an actor and yeah. unique to a character that we were so familiar with seeing someone else play before. Um, yeah. So, uh, so you know, I felt you know, so he was really uh, handed a really impossible task and made it look easy. And yep. as much as I wanted to pick something other than this, I I I couldn't justify it. Well, Star Trek was also chosen by uh, John Palmer, Michael Breen, and Michelle Garrist. Uh, Robert Hillier, Haley, and Alex Watson went with Hell or High Water. James Vasquez chose okay. the original Wonder Woman. Uh, Rachel K.H. Adam Pascia said Into the Woods and Saskia Felicity and many others went with Princess Diaries to the Royal Engagement. So thank you very much, everybody, for, Ironically, for participating. Or actually, actually, I don't know. You'll have Hell to or High them. Water is an excellent movie, by the way. Hell or High Water has one of the most brilliant plot turns yeah. in my entire life, which is the way that they launder their money. Yeah. Um, I it, When it has... So, Spoiler alert. They rob banks. They bring them to a casino uh, across state lines. They cash it. They get chips in return. And then Chris Pine sits in a bar and watches a baseball game. Then brings the chips back and gets different money. And when I saw that on screen in that movie, I thought, that is the most... (laughs) 
brilliant idea dude, I've ever like, seen. So isn't there like a, a part of you that's like, I could do that. Yeah, dude, <laughs> I could sit at a bar. Yeah. I used to watch the Ocean's Eleven film and wonder, like, are they giving away how someone could rob the Bellagio? Like, they're giving it away. Like, like, yeah, like, yeah. Like, this yeah is... but the, the thing about the Ocean's films is that it, it, there's one very where there's two requirements in order to be able to pull all that off. One, you have to be very good looking, and the two, and the second one is check. like we forget. Yeah, check done. Uh, the, we forget that like they have to. One of the big plot points at the beginning of the film is they have to go to a guy who is a millionaire. Sure. Because so many, so like you gotta have the like it's uh, the only way that the ocean movies work. But they is, is show if you, you have a guy, like the details, like yeah, like yeah. The, the the guarding of. And yeah. again, going back to what you were saying about Hell or High Water, it give it, it it. I always wonder, like when like every time I watch a movie about someone like overtaking like the White House or something like that, I'm like, are yeah. they gonna are they worried about people like, mon- <laughs> like, like Olympus has fallen? Do you, can this really happen? Like like, yeah. I'm like a little I, I would go as far as saying <laughs> is it like like they have it down to so so that if like someone could get into the right. White House based on watching a Roland Emmerich film, <laughs> then they've got bigger problems. Wait, Emmerich didn't do... Uh, oh, Emmerich did White House Down. That was Antoine yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuqua. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Olympus Has Fallen is a great movie, by the way. Yeah, I like the first That's one. That's an awesome... That's Die Hard in the White House, but it's great. It's oh, I rewatched yeah. Die Hard recently, and it is a masterpiece, by the way. Yes, of course it is. Um, all right, next you. week, we're going to be playing hashtag Christopher Walken Blend. Yes! Uh, Good so, one! Reach out on the Twitter. Original Hollywood Chris using <laughs> a hard <laughs> nice one. Game. Nice game. Damn. Uh, hashtag Christopher Walken Blend on social media, or you can send us your picks via email at realblend@cinemablend.com. Well, you see, you course, said you had a watch. Is, wait, well, that was actually pretty good, ass. Jake. Nice job. Uh, you can also send us reviews at realblend@cinemablend.com, and that's where Robert Hillier sent his review uh, for this week, where he says. I'm a big movie fan, and I range from seeing every Best Picture nominee to every superhero and Star Wars movie available, while also being a big Adam Sandler fan. Hubie Halloween for Best Picture. Uh, So this show is perfect for me. I love being able to talk movies in a non-cynical way, but just talk and enjoy something that is so much fun with the perfect amount of playful banter. I first heard of the show around a year ago, and my first episode was the 100th episode with a live audience. So RIP to the live audience experience, because there was literally like it was yesterday it was a year ago yesterday from the day that we were recording and uh i miss people so much and i miss being able to do events like that and that was such a fun experience and so if you're listening to us and you're relatively new go back and find the 100th episode uh live in washington dc it was a uh, it was tremendous um I, I digress robert goes on to say as soon as i heard the joke let off some steam tenant i knew this was the perfect movie podcast that was amazing it helps to get all of my Who was that? news. That wasn't me. It was someone no, in the I, audience. I was setting it up on the uh, uh, on the show, and then someone blasted. Someone said "tenet" out loud. Like it was like I yeah. was getting ready to say let off some steam, and someone said "tenet" or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it worked wow. out really well. Uh, it helps to get all of my movie news while also breaking down the movies that I love. I'm not on Twitter, so I wasn't able to chime in on the poll, but I always mix my chocolate and popcorn. If you have never. If you've never tried Bunch of Crunch and popcorn you're really missing out, get a handful of popcorn and pour some chocolate on it, and it just makes the movie better. Thanks for giving me something to look forward to in my commutes every Thursday. Robert, thank you so much for, for weighing in on the show and for your snack uh, recommendations. Um, on our next premium episode, we are going to discuss if there is such a thing as a bad movie. Can a movie actually be bad, or does it really just miss its intention? So if you're a premium uh, listener, 
Feel free for the, uh, to dive into that conversation with us shortly. And if you would like to learn more about the premium subscription, we have that information in the description uh, that's associated with the podcast. So uh, in the meantime, we'll be back with a new full-length episode uh, until that happens you can follow us on social media at jake's takes at kevin mccarthy at sean underscore o'connell and at real blend talk to you guys next week happy new year see you soon qb what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co